Hello and welcome to Yappiness. I'm your host, Nicholas Mathias, and today we're joined by musician and mathematician Montana Lobel. Montana and I were classmates and fellow educators in college, and I'm excited for you all to meet him today. Here's Monty. Thank you for being here today. And I want to start the same way I did with Seth. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to to do this. I've I've never uh, I've never talked talked on like a podcast, so this is exciting. So um, how how are you doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm doing yeah. great. Um, doing great. It's been a really really relaxing day, and now I get to spend it talking with you. So I'm really looking forward to it. All right. I'll try to make it stressful. That, that, that way, you can get a little stress and drama in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what gets clicks, stress and drama. Yeah. Yeah. So before we met, I asked us each to put together five songs that we've been listening to recently and send them to each other because a lot of what we share in common is uh, music, uh, whether that's common interests or just the interest in sharing music. And so uh, I thought that'd be interesting. You sent me, uh, let me read it off here. Hellbender by Billy Strings, Bagels by Coda the Friend, In the Valleys by Monster Rally, Emmanuel by TK, and Make It to Midnight by Houndmouth. Uh, which one of those, do you have a favorite? Um, I, the, the Billy Strings one um, has really been uh, on repeat. I got to see him uh, about two two weeks ago. Well, I don't even know when the exact date. But yeah, I got to see him play, and it was psychedelic bluegrass would be the the best way I could I could uh, describe. Um, he ended his hour and th- like he played two sets about an hour and a half each, and that was how he ended the last one was with that that Hellbender song, and uh, it sounded so much like a generic or not okay i don't want to say generic um but a a traditional bluegrass song like the way it flows but when you listen to it it's it's very far from traditional um and so every time i listen to it it's either a new like you know riff or uh, a new lyric i might not have heard before and so i always seem to discover something new every time i listen to it yeah that's really great Uh, can you tell us a little bit what it's about just in case people don't want us check it out in the middle of <laughs> yeah um uh, i'll go ahead and uh, not a sponsor but you go follow billy strings on spotify and currently on tour uh yeah no it's um it's just about a guy who's uh like kind of uh, highway to hell sort of um attitude it starts off with him uh saying that he's you know got up and, and there's a girl laying you know in his bed and he can't remember her name um he's uh you know, just, just kind of living. I got to pull up the exact lyric. He talks about going to Haiti in a, uh, like tricked out Mercedes, I think, <laughs> which I, I just, it's so, so cool. Let me see if I can find the, uh, yeah, I, I could cruise down to Hades in a snow white Mercedes and a devilish look in my eye with a chip on my shoulder, another day older. And I swear I could break down and cry. <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I never really, and I think this is, this is how he's kind of gained so much traction is 
I never, I mean, I knew some big bluegrass names like Doc Watson and Earl Scruggs, but like to say I listened to them was, was, you know, I knew like one or two songs from them, but he, he, he came out of nowhere and just has kind of thrown this whole, uh, you know, bluegrass sort of thing on its side. I feel like, um, he, uh, he, here in Wichita, um, or in, in Kansas, there is a, uh, a bluegrass festival. I think it's called the Winfield Bluegrass Festival. And during the show, um, his like second to last song, he said, "Well, I'm not able to play the the that uh, bluegrass festival. I am I am banned from it." And like the crowd was like, "Oh, okay." But like he's like, "No, like genuinely can't can't play there." And so I don't know if it's his his kind of um, risque song lyrics. Uh, he's got another song called "Dust in a Baggie," um, which I just is really really good. Um, yeah, or it's just like super weed crowd that he he pulled in i didn't think i would smell the the smell of weed and a bluegrass festival or concert but it was it was wild um so yeah a, a little rebellious there but uh yeah um I, I i also listened to the the songs you had sent um i'm gonna reverse the question what what was like out of the list of five what uh what song has been standing out to you and have been uh listening to a lot me i remember most of the ones i sent you so i want to talk about uh so i sent you streaks by anima rule number 21 memento mori by fish in a birdcage uh fire in your house by walk the moon Bad Dream Baby by Hippocampus and Down the Rabbit Hole by Palm. I think the one I play on repeat the most is Down the Rabbit Hole because it's so out there and I really like it. But Memento Mori has been a more recent discovery than Down the Hole. So Memento Mori just hasn't gotten the chance to be on repeat as much. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, the, the three that, um, I mean, rule or Momento Mori um, and Down the Rabbit Hole were ones that really stood out, uh, like the drum beat and the very like lyrics were, were very, very interesting. I, I like those. Yeah. yeah, I like stuff like Down the Rabbit Hole that tells a story. And I also like that kind of, from like a total novice perspective, the only way I can describe it is bad singing that's good. But it's not bad because it is good. And if I try to sing like that, you realize how hard it is to actually make it sound good. And so there's very clear skill there, but it's like, it's not smooth and nice on the ear. It's like totally, you get the vibe that you're like in this wonderland environment and i really like songs that can place me in a setting like that so yeah, I, go ahead oh uh, i i was going to comment on 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 the lyrics that yeah i mean the uh, the first time through the 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 vocals um on how they were i, I believe it is down down the rabbit hole uh, they they were they were strange you know but i mean the, the further you got into it 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 really is such a unique like phrasing and and uh, instrumental uh, setup that it was yeah i i agree um 
there's so many songs like that where I'll listen to it like the first time and be like, I absolutely don't like this at all. Like I, this is this is art, and then it just drags me in. And yeah, um, I love I love those kind of songs. Yeah, I think that's I, I want to hit on that where you listen to it the first time and you just don't you don't really get it, but you can you can tell it's somebody's kind of love project. And the more you listen to it, what do you have any? other examples of that or uh yeah i'm i'm uh, excited um spotify not a sponsor uh they come out with their they come out with their warped is that what it's called or no wrapped like 20 like year review or whatever like 2021 um so i'm excited to see what my my number one played song is uh but i've got a strong inclination that it's going to be i paint a design by um oh gosh pull it up can i remember his name uh so while i pull it up a little backstory on this um artist that i can't remember the name of um he was in the folk scene um back in the night like 1960s whenever bob dylan got his start in the green greenwich village in new york his name is uh, michael hurley um, and he's just been in the music scene, like kind of low key. I mean, he's not like a Bob Dylan, you know, the, the name Bob Dylan is like, oh yeah, you know, heard of, heard of that. Um, but yeah, he, the, the, um, the beat he's, he's got like, a, I don't know if it's like two female vocalists that kind of do some backing um, harmonies with him, but his voice is so gravelly and their voice is so like angelic that it's just this really like clash. And the song is wild because it's about <laughs> painting a design. Like he's he's going around painting murals in, in the uh, town. He talks about being in Los Angeles during an earthquake. Um, you know, the the verse it talks about uh, or the chorus just, you know, talks about painting a design, going to paint a white horse, he'll paint a dragon, like we'll just paint anything, you know. Um, and I saw a video of him performing the, that song. Um, I would say, you know, recorded maybe like 2017, uh, 2018, very, very old, crusty looking man. But um, the guitar playing was amazing. I mean, just to be him up there completely by himself. Uh, yeah. And I think at that time, I mean, I listened to it the first time on, on the Spotify Discover. Um, and I was like, boy, I didn't I didn't like that. Um, but I gave it a second try. And then I just couldn't stop listening to it. I mean, I would say three times a day, I'd pull it up, you know, uh, breakfast breakfast lunch and dinner kind of thing I, I had to get my michael hurley fix and so um yeah encourage any listeners go listen to i paint a design uh, looked it up on i can't remember where i was at and someone said i heard this song in a chipotle i was like i could see that seems like a very chipotle kind of hipster-esque uh vibe um, but yeah that's one that stands out i think that'll be my number one played like song on the on the 20 21 review i can i can see that being being that one so you talked a lot about billy strings and you talked about michael hurley where do you get this information is it just like by exposing yourself to those outlets you just slowly take in this information do you have like a source um it's it's just kind of wherever i can um, go spotify normally has a very good like summary of artists I respect the artists who don't have any any information on them because then I'm like, well, now I have to Google them. 
Um, but ever since, yeah, I, I uh, was in middle school and, and I stumbled across the Beatles. I say stumble across, but, you know, I was a kid listening to Kids Bop and uh, heard or saw them perform on YouTube. And, you know, it was just I had to learn more. I had to kind of dig in. And there's all these really neat um, intertwining uh, sort of relations, relationships that you can find. Um, you know, like the whole Michael Hurley playing with Bob Dylan when he started. I mean, that's such a huge name, but yet Michael Hurley is so unknown. Um, but yeah, I would say for the most part, it's Spotify's like review. Um, and then also just, just Google. Uh, Wikipedia is fantastic. I know we're not supposed to use those back in like high school for references, but um, I do donate some money to Wikipedia for that. I That's how I can uh, keep me from not doing my job. I can just keep scrolling through Wikipedia pages. Yeah, so I wanted to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit more about you. Uh, you are a guy who really likes music, and uh, my impression is that you really like making music. Otherwise, you're a really good, really good faker. Uh, what instruments do you play, and what instruments have you tried to get into? Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've uh, been playing guitar since uh, I was in fifth grade, I believe, uh, fifth or sixth grade. Um, you know, the first couple years of that wasn't really anything um, big just learning the chords and trying to stick with it then bought a I think I got a mandolin um, three or four years into playing I you know bought a couple like an electric guitar and joined some bands throughout high school uh, from there got a bass guitar played a little bit of that in some bands um, bought a snare drum and kind of work a little bit with rhythm I'm no drummer uh the the one instrument I guess I play a little bit of piano as well, but the one instrument that I could not master has been the violin. Uh, the violin is strung or not strung is tuned like a mandolin, so like the chord phrasings and the scales are all the same. So I was like, well, if I can play the mandolin, then by the transitive property, <laughs> I can play the violin. And as soon as you tip that sucker on its side and use a bow, it is a whole new beast. Um, and it's currently setting uh, kind of up on a shelf uh in its case because it, it it is and, and you know you, you play other instruments whether you know like piano or guitar and you can kind of fake it uh you can like play you know a couple repeated phrasings or something uh but with the violin like immediately sounds like a dying animal um so i've uh yeah that's the that's the white horse that i haven't been able to uh, tame yet so why the, why the violin is there a particular song you want to play or do you just like the sound that is actually a really good question. I, I don't know why the violin was something. Um, I mean, there is some country music I listen to um, that has like the fiddle. Uh, the Devil Went Down to Georgia was always one, but <coughs> excuse me. But I don't, I would never think that that would be one of them that I would jump into, you know, that's like through the fire and flames, trying to learn that on guitar. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it was, I've always heard how difficult it was. And I, it, it was probably like a challenge of like, oh, I bet I could master this. Um, but yeah, it, it, it really was neat. And, and you can find pretty cheap instruments that are like easy to learn. So I, I, I always, you know, um, think it's neat to, to purchase any sort of instrument and try. Um, been looking at a ukulele here and there, um, just because that, that is similar to a guitar. And, um, 
how you can do that. So I'm not learning, I'm considering buying something else to try to learn. Uh, do you have a favorite that you can play? Uh, Instrument-wise or song-wise? Uh, Instrument-wise. Uh, probably the guitar. Um, I know that uh, both you and I had studied math uh, and, you know, in the education system. And there's always that talk of the aha moment, you know, whenever you're working a problem that it all falls into place. Um, I had played guitar for maybe five, six years. Uh, I knew the chords. I was studying like the scales so I could, you know, improvise uh, easier. And yeah, it just all fell into place. I, I learned all the notes on the fretboard um, one summer and just sat down there and was like, I'm going to learn it. And then, yeah, the, the scales and the chords and the sort of, um, you know, when to play which scale based on the chord, it all just fell into place uh, well enough for me to feel like I unlocked Pandora's box of guitar playing. Not to say I'm, you know, a virtuoso, but it's definitely like I can pick it up and, you know, just play on it for, for hours. And, you know, so I, I think the guitar is the one that um, I'm, I'm proud that I can play it. I understand that it's difficult. Um, I always say that if I hit my head and forgot how to play guitar, but remembered the process of learning, I don't think I would do it again. Do you think you're approaching the aha moment? Uh, I, that's hard to tell, but do you think you're approaching the aha moment with any other instruments? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I've been playing bass uh, more, um, but the bass is just a, a lower, deeper guitar. Um, so there's not much learning. Uh, it's definitely hurting the fingers more, but I haven't really pursued much more of the piano um, or picked up more of the mandolin. So, uh, yeah, I think the it, it's hard. It's hard to try to play and learn another instrument when there's one that like I, I can play fairly well, you know. And so, um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say any um, at the moment. No. You mentioned playing the bass, and I know that you're in a band currently, and you're the bassist. Do you want to tell me what that's been like? Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, my, uh, cousin who got me into guitar, he, he, um, said that he had this big bass amp that he didn't want, um, and asked if I wanted it. And I responded, well, I don't really have a bass, but I would love to take it. So he, him and I went down to the guitar shop and he helped me pick out a bass. Um, there was a, there was a black, uh, like all black, uh, kind of menacing looking bass. And there's this baby blue, with like silver um, knobs and and uh, bridge and all this, and I, I knew immediately which one I wanted. You know the the flashy, the flash the flashy baby blue uh, bass. Uh, it's a Stingray, is the is the uh, the model, uh, and it's it's great. It's the bass is such a. I mean, I've only played a couple shows with. Uh, we're called the Troubadour Trio. Um, I don't even know if we have a Facebook or Instagram page, so I can't tell you. Uh, to follow that, um, but hopefully more more news to come. Uh, they called me up, and I guess their bassist couldn't uh, make a show, and so they were like, you know, we can come up practice this weekend, uh, have a couple weeks off to like figure out what you need to know, and then we'll play the show. And uh, it was fun, you know. Um, 
destroyed my fingers a little bit, but yeah, I mean, you really just sink in with the drummer, which I think is such a, something that I, I, I never really did, you know, playing guitar uh, in a band. The guitar is always like out in front trying to woo, woo all the, the ladies in the crowd um, where the bass just sits there and, and carries it with the drums. And so that, that's been a lot of fun to, to do that part of the rhythm section. So that's, that's kind of one big difference between you and me. Uh, we both played guitar, but you actually did something with it. What's it like to be on stage? I, I enjoy it, um, but I think the true joy comes from how you can sync up with the other musicians. Um, the show that we played uh, was in front of seven people uh, a couple Mondays ago. Um, freezing cold outside so I, I don't blame the the town of Leroy for not coming out because it was it, it got way colder way sooner than anyone expected but we uh, you know we played and I I mean it's tough to to say the largest crowd but I think I played in front of like 300 maybe um, we 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 were the opener for corn stock a festival in Garnett Kansas um and then I also played this high school graduation kind of thing. Our band um, did like the going away party. And honestly, the crowd, I, uh, it's like when I, it's like, you know, kind of teaching. I never try to like look people directly in the face where it's like I look at a spot in, on the floor or the back and I just try to sink in with the musicians. So it is fun though. I mean, whenever you can really woo a crowd or they really feel the music with you, it is, it is something special. That's cool. So I wanted to ask you uh, how the creative process works for you. You, uh, you talked about potentially making something for this show, and I'm not, um, not worried about when that's going to happen, but what, how do you work with inspiration? What's your process like? Well, it usually, it usually starts with the guitar. Um, I just kind of pick it up and, and uh, doodle around. Um, I still have the riff. I wasn't able to get it um, put together. Uh, before our meeting time, uh, which is good because if it's bad, uh, I will not be on here. So um, I'll let the I'll let the audience figure out uh, whether um, how how it went. But it, you know, I pick it up and when I listened to the the, the first podcast here with Seth, I liked the kind of laid back vibe of it. And so when I picked it up, I wanted to keep you know a simple chord progression um, with nothing to you know, out there, very, 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 uh, you know, laid back um, sort of vibe. So usually when I play, it's, it's just pick it up. And if it sounds good, I, I play it a bunch or I write it down um, or record like some audio on my phone so I can go back and, and, you know, in case I forget, forget how to play something that I had, I had written. Do you, uh, do you have any, which, what's a favorite, what's your favorite piece that you've ever written? Yeah, um, a little thing called Stairway to Heaven. Um, Jimmy Payton. No, <laughs> no uh, I wrote a song um, called. Oh, man, I can't remember lyrics. Um, let me let me try to pull it up. Uh, it's, it's on YouTube. Um, back in high school, the band that I was in, uh, we had a female singer and uh, not too many people picked up the, the songwriting duties. And so I, um, you know, like to write the songs and it was very fun to write a breakup song from the perspective of the, the girl. 
um, the girl in the relationship. And so the entire song, uh, Love is What I Need You, man, I should, I should know these, um, take a little bit longer to find. But yeah, that, that was, that was one. It was uh, like the original version was like seven minutes long. And I remember I fought with the other musicians in the band because they're like, it's so long. Why do we need all these verses? And I was like, we need all of them. They are all amazing. And the singer was very kind. And she, um, yeah, she she enjoyed singing it, I think. I mean, um, we that band never really played any shows. Uh, we just played in the drummer's basement. Um, so his mom always got a show. Um, but that was one that I, I was always very proud of because it was fun to be on the out, like, right for the other team um and i think she enjoyed it and it was a very like lengthy song but that uh I, I, that, that tops it what's it like to be in a band what's your best experience with bandmates whether you talk about syncing up with musicians has there ever been another musician that you felt like you really jived with or a bandmate yeah uh, i i went to high school um with well uh, eighth grade and and high school um, with uh, Jay Conus is his name. Uh, we joined, I, I was already in this band and we started losing members. And so I asked him to join because I know he played guitar and he was, you know, the, uh, the Lennon to my McCartney or McCartney to Lennon. I don't know who's who because yeah, I mean, we could just sit down and, and write music. Um, we fought all the time. I mean, he always wanted to include chords and and like include a bridge and maybe a key change and i'm like i want three chords and i want it to be super simple um and, and now we we've we've changed our um style he he lives out, out of town now but or out, out of wichita where where he, um actually he lives in kansas city i guess he was in kansas city um and then had moved down here for school but uh he he has now kind of picked up the very like acoustic uh coffee shop style of, of guitar playing uh, where I have I have picked up his sort of lead work because last time we played it was a huge change in dynamic we still worked well together but it was just it was interesting to see how you know someone I worked with uh, for a while and I think we were in three different bands together um, were able to kind of just shift roles in in a quote-unquote band uh, at the time A lot of times when we share music, you bring up bluegrass. And that was one of the first things you mentioned uh, when we talked about music earlier. Have you ever been in a bluegrass band? Is that something you're interested in? What is bluegrass to you? <laughs> well, it's the uh, lack of green or yellow grass. Um, no, I, uh, or I guess it would be the combination. No, uh, bluegrass is to me like, very loose playing folk music um i i love i love folk music um country to me is polished folk music and and bluegrass is it's like rowdy cousin who just does whatever it wants it it's very from a little bit that i've seen um you know the billy strings was one but i have listened to some other ones and it's a lot of improvising a lot of very fast picking um he talked about his influence in metal how he was a metal guitarist but he always went back to his bluegrass roots. Um, and, and you can kind of tell, I mean, you listen to like Earl Scruggs. Um, he is such a, he was such a fast banjo player. Um, it's, it's wild um, to watch old videos of him. I've never played in a bluegrass band. I've always wanted to, 
I was uh, three or four miles outside of a bluegrass festival when the tire fell off of my car and it completely destroyed the mood. Uh, my parents came and picked me up and said, well, we'll drive you the rest of the way. And I, I was so defeated seeing my tire fly off of my car while I was driving it that I just, uh, I called it quits. So um, hopefully here in the future, um, there's a couple, there's an upright bassist that I know who's, who said that if I can make my way back up to Emporia, Kansas, that he would, I think he might live in Lawrence now, but that he'd be willing to, to introduce me to his bluegrass buddies, but it has not happened yet. That's an interesting sense of closure for me because the tire flying off of your car while you're driving, that is a classic uh, car story of yours that I, I, I never knew like the whole context behind it, or at least that part doesn't come up as much. Uh, I do think about that every time I feel a wobble or something, I'm starting to look around. I'm like, what if this is my Monty moment where I see my tire take off ahead of me? It, it, it was still, it's still wild. I mean, it, it, I, luckily it was an abandoned highway, so there's no one there. Um, it could have been very bad if there was people around. Uh, you know, but thank goodness that wasn't the case. Uh, but yeah, I was listening to You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. And it was true. I did not get what I wanted at that at that moment. Um, yeah, I, I, car trouble is just something that seems to to plague me. Um, not as severe now that I've got a more up to date car. And I know everyone suffers from car problems, but it is so frustrating. You feel on top of the world until your car does not start. How do you discover new music? Usually through, um, I mean, Spotify is amazing. Again, not a sponsor. Uh, it's ironic that, I mean, the good thing it's not iTunes and you're not posting this on Spotify or something and I'm praising a different streaming service, but these streaming services have such uh, an interesting algorithm. I would like to see how it's done, but um, they have this, you know, weekly discover. So I, you know, have to listen to that. Um, sometimes discover stuff. Um, my family listens to a lot of different music, uh, Billy Strings and uh, Krung Ben, uh, that song, uh, some songs from them I, I know I've showed you. Uh, they introduced me to those bands. And then uh, Spotify has this feature where if you're on the desktop, you get to see what people are listening to. And so I kind of stalk uh, my friends that I follow. And if there's a song that's like, well, wait a minute, I might know that artist, you know, I'll click it and dive into it. So it's always a good day and any, any chance I get to listen to someone new, um, I can really dig my teeth into that. And even, even if I don't like it, it was still, you know, it's still neat to see someone do their art, whether it's, um, you know, drives with me or not. Yeah, I, I really look forward to my Monday shifts whenever I get to pop in that Discover Spotify. How, how has your Discover uh, Spotify been going? Uh, have you noticed like a trend of um, certain types of genre? No, it is all over the place. Spotify has no idea what I like. And I kind of enjoy that because most of what it gives me is garbage. But sometimes it gives me these diamond in the rough songs that are totally out there. And they're all the types of songs that I listen to, hate them. And then the more I listen to them, what, what I do is I, I catch myself thinking about them. And so what I'll do is I'll force myself to go back and like the song because I'm thinking about it. And then as I listen to it, I like it more and more. Um, well, yeah, so it. it does a pretty good job 
all things considered, it's an algorithm. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, I know my my past three weeks of the the three Discover Spotify like weekly playlists haven't been that great. Um, but you know, I, I there are still a couple that that come up here. Um, and because it's an algorithm, you always get those same songs. And it gets to the point where like I don't even you know I I can't uh, can't listen to it just out of pure principle of you know I didn't like it the first two weeks you you suggested it, but. Um, they, they do have a very good job of, I mean, I, I was so against streaming music, you know, I, I, I like vinyl records, um, and I've got a couple or some cassette tapes and CDs, uh, Walmart always had their $5 CD bin. And I always loved digging through that. Um, and I was very against it. I, I thought, you know, I would rather spend money and like have a physical copy, you know, I mean, having a record in your hand is like a book. You get to look, you get to read the acknowledgements, which I know are same in the CDs and I'm sure you could find them online, but to have it in your hand and, and the weight of the record, um, it just, it was always something so fulfilling, I guess, where, you know, I, I felt like I had a piece of the artist, but I don't think I could go back to not streaming music, to be able to have this vast world of any sort of song I can listen to. Um, there's moments in life that I think I realized I was wrong. And, it, and that was one of the, my, my weird hatred for streaming music, but I, I can understand why people still don't, but I mean, it, it's changed. It's, it's been, it's been a game changer in my free time. Okay. So we jive a lot with music, but the other thing that we really have in common is our mathematics background. And first of all, I wanted to share a story that I think I may have shared with you once or twice. I probably did. But I remember you came to visit my class during my freshman year of college. And you were a senior. And I had just gotten done with the Dylan's grind. And you worked at Dylan's. And I brought that up. And I was like, wow, like instant homie. And this was completely one-sided, I know. But... <laughs> In my head, I was like instant homie. And I remember thinking, I really want to be friends with this guy, but that's like never going to happen because this guy's a senior. He's about to graduate. And then fast forward one year, you graduate and become a graduate student. And then suddenly, like we got to know each other really well and we got along really well. And uh, for years, you know, we, we hung out consistently. And I just thought that was funny that this, what I expected to be a completely fleeting thought of man this guy'd be cool to hang out with <laughs> became what it is today i i i was really uh I, it was it was very neat that uh, you had signed up to do the like coaching uh, like so coaching was like assisting uh graduate students and other instructors teach the lower level lower level algebras because i mean they might not be difficult for you know people in upper level math but i mean math is just hard uh, in general. And so you were a coach for me, my very first uh, teaching assignment. And I was nervous. Uh, but I mean, you, you had like mentioned that I had talked to the class and yeah, I mean, we, we hit it off and it was, it was fun to be able to, you know, like have someone else to kind of help me through that very uh, nervous first class sort of thing. Because um, it, it is like when you walk in and they're staring at you, it's like, oh man, they're, they're expecting something, you know, and um it's math. So they already dislike it, you know, before I even say anything. Yeah. I really enjoyed being in the classroom and I think I got this false sense of security 
when I transitioned into what was your position, because getting up there and like you said, having all of them stare at you is super intimidating. But what is, what is your draw to teaching? What's your favorite thing about it? Why do, why do you put up with how awkward and terrifying it is to guide these um, children? Yeah. And I'd like to say that I'm still, I still get nervous. You know, I mean, I'm, um, I've got uh, three weeks now um, of the fall semester here. Uh, and, and yeah, still sometimes it's like I get up in front of them and it's, you know, if I make too much eye contact, my hand, my palms get all sweaty. I, it's just, uh, it's, it's nerve wracking. Uh, but the, the joy is, um, you, you, I, you know, you, I go up there and trying to, trying to connect with them for something that like is, is difficult. Um, and also knowing that like, I wasn't a great student. Um, I know my freshman year of high school, I bombed the placement test and got put into remedial math. And I never realized I was good at math until I was put into remedial math. And I was like, okay, like this is insulting. I, I can do this, you know, like I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and take this. Um, and then, yeah, I, my high school didn't really give us an option of like trade school or military. It was like, what four-year university are you going to go to? And I had family who are teachers graduate from Emporia State. And so I was like, well, I'll go there. And I helped my friends through their college algebra um, career in high school, like their, their, their progress through that class. And so I thought, you know what, I can, I can try teaching that. And yeah, just being in the classroom now, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by people who can teach the, the lower or the, the lower ed um, because teaching college is very nice. I mean, they are adults and for the most part, they're respectful. Um, and also it's easier to have conversations with them because, you know, they're, they're struggling through not growing up, but being thrown into the grown up world of like, okay, like you're on your own now. You've signed up for this torture that we call higher education and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in it. Um, and the aha moment. I mean, it's such a generic thing that, that people who teach say, but it really is like when you, um, you know, when you explain something and a student is like, oh, that's why, you know, especially for math, whenever you can't fake math, it's either right or wrong. And uh, so to, to be able to help people through that and, and um, also helping your, like my own understanding, I didn't realize I was not that great at counting numbers like doing mental math uh, until I uh, started grading tests and I started getting better and quicker at mental math and I thought well I didn't know I was bad at this but I'm getting better so so yeah uh, teaching is just it's, it's rewarding it's tiring I, I don't know how I don't know how people do it I know I get to the end of the week and I'm like wow I can't believe I survived that like that's that's surprising um, but I, I've, I've made I, I wouldn't say friends uh, with students. I mean, a couple of them have added me on, on um, social media, um, but it is neat to see them like grow in their math knowledge um, through, through class. Um, and I, I don't know, do, do you, do you uh, suffer from this uh, sort of like, I think I still look the age of my students, even though I am like maybe six or seven years older than they are, but that always seems kind of like a weird dynamic that I haven't been able to get used to yet. So one thing I wanted to comment about that you said was that what you said was exactly how I believed about lower education, we'll call it. But in these one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions, at least, I treat 
these kids as adults, no matter what the, no matter what comes up, you know, I'm not, I try not to talk about if Santa's real or not, but, you know, in, in terms of how I converse with them and even the ones that don't want to be there, it's like, they all understand it's not on me. And so it's been a really positive experience and the gaps in their knowledge are not always so different from gaps I ran into in college algebra. Yeah, I, I'm always surprised at, um, I, I'm currently teaching a calc class and most of the mistakes are these, these gaps in like algebra one and algebra two, which is taught, you know, freshman, sophomore year of high school. And I mean, there's, I never am like upset or, you know, think any differently of my students, uh, depending on like their, their gaps in knowledge. Uh, because I, I've always found that math is, is um, I've said math is difficult a couple times, but that everyone plateaus at a different level. For me, Calc 2 is where I plateaued. Calc 2 is where everything stopped making sense and I had to like study and open my book, which up till that point, I could just do the homework while they talked. Um, and then suddenly that wasn't the case. And I, I remember that feeling. Um, and all the way through my, my graduate studies and some of my PhD work, uh, that feeling still lingers, you know, it's, it's there. It's the real battle with, with mathematics. So I, I think being able to help people through that is, is such a, something that I, I think everyone who teaches math kind of gets out of that. At least I would imagine, um, helping them with something, you know, that is, it is difficult and not always intuitive. Yeah, I feel bad when people think I'm judging them because I never am. But oftentimes people have surprising gaps in knowledge. So you'll ask them a question that is not intended to be a trick question. And then it's, it's like I'm speaking from my own experience with some of my professors asking me. It's a question you know you're supposed to know the answer to and you don't. And they're looking at you like, well... <laughs> And the problem is you as the instructor think that they know it. And so you're looking at them expectantly, but it's also like insulting the fact that they don't know it. And then there becomes this, I think that's when students start to lock up and things like that. And pe people are really afraid to be wrong in math. <laughs> and it's, it's okay. It's okay to be wrong in math. In my education classes, that, that was always the stress, you know, that the only way to get better is to, is to know where you're wrong and then try to correct it. Um, but even then, you know, it's always, you know, always tell them it's, you know, easy to say that and it's, it's hard to practice it because even in, you know, graduate studies, it's like, it's embarrassing to, to be wrong. Um, especially, I mean, yeah, math, it just kicks you when you're down. So, I mean, if you're having a bad day, math isn't going to hold back. It's going to, it's going to come at you there. Yeah. I, uh, I know one thing I always, I always try to catch myself from saying is this is the easy way or, or the word easy in general. Um, that was another thing that my education um, professor said that, you know, what I consider easy may not be easy to them. And I always try to like watch out for that. I know one thing that I do that I need to work on is anytime I say the word, well, they immediately know they're wrong. <laughs> and there's no sort of like hiding that they're wrong as soon as I say that. And I love when students call me out for it because I'm still trying to figure out a better transition to like, you're, you're way off, but you know, you, you can't say that. So, yeah. 
One of the students I had when I was a coach for your first ever class, uh, I had him in a subsequent class and I walked up to the board and he said, is this right? I said, okay, so, and he turns to the rest of his group. He says, that means it's wrong. And we all laughed because it's, yeah, I do the same thing. That's my well. It's Mm. you're super wrong. And I don't want to say those words because that will make you lock up. (laughs) So yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting balance. I don't want to go too far over an hour. So I think I'm going to go ahead and transition to uh, Monty. What is happiness to you? Um, I know that uh, when, when you contacted me, that this was the, um, you know, the question that you were going to ask. And I, I would sit and think on it. And um, I, I, w- I, w- I liked Seth's answer. Um, and so again, if you haven't listened to that, I encourage the audience to go, go listen to that one. Um, my, what I, what I think happiness is, at least to me, um, is from the, the outside, like being able to see someone being happy, I think is something that, that does cheer me up. Um, you know, working with the general public, it was always nice to see either strangers being you know, strangers to them, you know, strangers being nice to each other. I mean, they're all strangers to me out in public. Um, and then another thing that is new that I was thinking about, I was excited to share was being able to like make a decision, uh, a decision that you yourself have made and that you feel proud about, like that I made this decision. Um, and even though if it might be bad, um, that you, you've made a decision um, and, take, and, and took control of your life a little bit. And I, I think that that is such a hard thing to do um, in this day and age. Um, there's so much out there and so much noise uh, that I think a lot of times, you know, not, not a lot of decisions are made. Um, so I, I, think, I think seeing other people being happy um, whether I know them or not, and then also being able to make a decision and feel proud of that decision being made. Um, so still, still working on it. I know the strangers out there are still working on being kind to each other. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I'm, I'm content with that. Yeah. So I wanted to share this story about happiness and it plays really well into what you said. What for the last week, I swear this is the first time I've ever heard my mother say the words I'm in heaven because she's like if you look up in Merriam-Webster the definition of girl boss there's just a picture of my mom like she's killing it all the time but I don't know I wonder you know if she takes time to relax and and take care of herself and so I think all week I was writing this high of like I mean, my mom <laughs> was really happy this weekend. So what have I got to complain about? Uh, do you have any moments like that that have been, you know, the, the moments of strangers being kind uh, or, you know, just someone else's happiness? And um, I was out at a bar uh, last night uh, with a friend of mine um, and we were just sitting there talking and the lady next to uh, her, uh, my friend sat down and, and older lady uh, and just started talking to us. And she was in such a good mood, so happy. 
um, there were some people at the other end of the bar that had like I, they got done with like a fight because they had like a like a belt like a I don't know like a, a I don't know what you call those like big wrestling belt kind of things and um, she's like what are those like why do they have those and we didn't know you know we we had just gotten here and she said well, I'm gonna go find out and she marched her way over there and then um, came back and said that lady's mean that lady's mean that lady's really really nice and she just had the whole rundown of everyone there and um, she got cold uh, or no, she was, she was too warm. Cause there were these, these, um, these, uh, you know, fire pits out in the um, bar. And uh, I, she apparently asked one of the workers, I don't know if she knew the person working in the bar, but they brought out like a long sleeve t-shirt cause she had like a big heavy sweater on. And she just like, she just took it off right there. And, 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 and the thing, I mean, I mean, she had an undershirt on, but it was just like, a very abrupt change in public and then she like leaned over and she told me she's like uh, hope you didn't see anything and like winked and I was like you're you're fine but there was so much so much joy coming from her I could tell her friends were a little embarrassed um but she she was having the time of her life and I think that really enhanced the time I was having for sure uh, watching her enjoy herself I thought of something that uh, might be an interesting intersection between things we share in common and the happiness uh, question. We talk a lot about, okay, uh, talking to strangers, other people's happiness, that stuff's really great. I wanna talk about uh, weaponizing, weaponizing, but weaponizing what you think of happiness in situations where it's hard to be happy and to avoid anything too deep and dark. We both worked at Kroger or Dylan and or Dylan's and, you know, there are good things and bad things about every retail job, but the thing everybody knows is that it's boring, right? And it's tedious. How do you work through and keep yourself sane when you're doing stuff you don't want to do? I know for Dylan's, when you said that uh, you found out that I worked at Dylan's during that introduction, we, we had this like bond, this unspoken bond. And I, maybe it's true for other, other jobs, but I, it always seems true for Dylan's. Um, I don't miss working that job. I don't miss the hours. I don't miss any of that, but I do miss the people I work with. Um, the, the joy of just, I mean, just silly things. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think of like things that we would, um, yeah, I mean, you you really get a bond with the people that you work with, and we we never worked together um, at a Dylan store, uh, but yeah, I mean, the customers are just can can be so terrible sometimes, but um, but you can always rely on your coworkers uh, because no matter you know what happens, you you can consult with them, and they have uh, usually worse stories which is somehow amazing that they can always top it not that it's a competition but um so yeah I, I think for that um it's definitely like co-workers and um and there are some nice customers I, did, did you ever have any customers that were just um, like regulars that knew you that that you talked with i don't think so because i worked at Dylan's when I was in high school and I really uh you met me very early on in college and I, I couldn't speak to strangers in high school I remember my mom made fun of me because she's like do you say hi to people who come by and I said yeah she goes like loud 
And I was like, well, no, I tried to. And I just mouthed the word hi and no sound comes out. And she's like, wait, I think that's really creepy, actually. <laughs> I think you might be creeping people out. But yeah, uh, I didn't really have any regulars because I was completely incapable of striking up conversation. And then now I worked overnights. So, you know, um, but I am thinking that maybe you had some regulars. Was there a couple of people that you really liked seeing? Uh, a couple uh, in Emporia, there was, um, you know, like a, a family, uh, their last name was Brooks and they were like, they owned like a good, it seemed like they owned a good part of like sections of Emporia, um, just, you know, a big community support, you know, they would always hold like, you know, things like that. And th there was one of the guys, he, he, um, he would always drive to Wichita because he said that there were no black hairdressers in or or hairdressers who could cut like black people hair um for you know lack of better description of it and he would always drive down there and he was ex-military i think um and he was just incredibly intimidating like the tallest guy deep voice uh but he was always so kind and you know he always had these like zingers uh, when he'd come home buy his lottery tickets from me um and i do miss seeing them they would always invite me to their like um community um of you know they would have like a, a fish fry that was always really good um and i i i only knew their last name i didn't know any of their first names <laughs> um but it was always really fun to to do that so he, he's the one that always uh, sticks out to me i always hope that i i see him you know in in um my commute here in wichita which i i don't even the, the chances of that, you know, uh, to do that. But yeah, I mean, he, he's always one that, that, that comes to mind. I was going to say that uh, you, you worked in, in dairy, uh, yeah. correct? Yeah, I did. It, I mean, it was, it was probably, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I being in customer service, you know, it was, it was, uh, the, the human contact was more frequent and it did, it helped me. I had trouble speaking to, to people and still in big crowds, I don't do very well. But that's one thing that Dylan's like forced me to do was was to be able to communicate um, with complete strangers. So uh, I, I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, hopefully, won't have to go back to Dylan's anytime soon. Uh, the hours we're working around holidays. I the utmost respect respect for people who who work uh, any any sort of like um, retail job. I've never worked in a restaurant, so I I don't know what that's like. I'm assuming it's amazing. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm not sure. When you're talking about Dylan's, it's like, well, you know, stocking shelves is kind of rhythmic and it gives you some time to just zone out and think. And I got to listen to my music. And so those are the things that I think of with Kroger. There were songs I listened to, uh, to go back to, to music that I, I remember hearing the first time in, in Dylan's and it kind of takes me back there for better or for worse. But, um, I, I sometimes was able to go stock the milk because the Emporia Dillons was very small. So, you know, everyone kind of pitched in and um, I always liked singing to uh, uh, everybody was Kung Fu fighting. I can't remember if that's the name of the, the official name of the song, but man, that, that echoed throughout the little um, freezer section or refrigerator section. So that was always one that I have fond memories of hiding from customers to be able to, jam to a little bit of kung fu fighting yeah i had some favorites uh one of my favorites is istanbul in parentheses not constantinople 
And the unfortunate part is that song is two minutes and 40 seconds. That is like the shortest song on that playlist. Uh, but I mentioned liking it one time. And my coworker was like, yo, me too. That song's incredible. And every time it came on, we would find each other like somewhere, <laughs> no matter what we were doing. Like, dude, it's our song. <laughs> and it's, it's little moments like that. You know, you're, you're, you've got this awful job and maybe, maybe a customer was a little rude. You know, they're having a bad day and you, you're on your favorite cheese and they take it and take their anger out on you a little bit more than you deserve. But then Istanbul comes on and you're just laughing and having a good time. Yeah, I think I think other people are really critical to happiness, which is hard for me to grasp and deal with as an introvert. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough for me to say that I'm I'm happy happy, um, because it's it's such a, uh, it's an out there concept, you know, that it's everyone has difficulties and it, it's a struggle to figure out, you know, which ones to hold on to, and which ones just to accept. Um, because every, everyone's struggle is different um, and you know it's always the small things in the day that that cheer me up um, one today that that happened that I was working up at the school uh, you know the end of the semester um, uh, rush to you know try to get everything done and graded and I wanted some coffee but I want I didn't want to walk all the way to Starbucks which is a pretty long walk um, the, the nearby one is closed on, on the weekends but uh, yeah, one of the the office staff, uh, I, I was complaining about how I didn't want to go walk. This is this is different than today, uh, kind of building up to what happened. Uh, but she's like, well, go take one of the K-cups and, and make yourself a cup of coffee. And I was like, but I thought those were for, um, you know, like our, our guest speakers when they come in. And she's like, well, I mean, I won't tell anybody. And if you don't just do it all the time, I'm sure it'll be fine. And so then I... I I exercised that freedom today <laughs> where I went and got a K-cup. I thought about buying some when I was at Dylan's, uh, you know, on the way back across town, but I thought, you know, there's just one, one K-cup. And uh, it was though, it's what, it's what I needed to get my work done. Cause I was just sitting watching YouTube videos, you know, mad at myself for not working, but too tired to have the, the gumption to do anything. So that coffee really kicked me in gear and I got what I needed done. I don't remember what the uh, the initial question was. <laughs> I was well, good. Living, oh, it was yeah. It was the joy of uh, the little joys in life because yeah, that that was one that that definitely cheered me up. Yeah, I mean, I I've got you know I'm not gonna say I have favorite students. So if any of them somehow find this, I'm um, you're not my favorite. <laughs> um, but they 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 do say some pretty funny stuff, and um, you know it's like we we don't make the times that our classes are assigned. So I teach an eight thirty in the morning class Monday through Friday, and it's Mondays are rough, you know, and we all suffer through it. Um, but they show up, and it was Thursday of this list last week, I think. I walked in, and three of them were working on their chemistry homework, and they were like really going at it, like really hard working on chemistry, and I was getting class set up and. You know, I said, you guys working on some chemistry? And they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's tough, but I think we're getting it. And I said, I, I don't appreciate that. I said, this is math class. We don't want any application. Uh, this is theory-based only. Uh, keep, your, keep your chemistry out of this, 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 uh, this room. And then they, 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 they had a good laugh. Um, someone said, how about physics? And I'm like, that, that's even worse. It's too much applied. Um, I, I find with Calc students, they are, um, they're not, I mean, like they're, they're pretty academically based, you know, I mean, they're, these engineering students have a lot of math ahead of them and a lot of uh, 
I think a, a fairly competitive job market. You know, I, I don't know what I'm basing that off of, um, but I just would imagine um, that an engineering degree does do you a lot of good um, if you can make yourself stand out. Oh, uh, I, I, I thought of a joke that a student told me. Um, it, I can't remember what the topic was, but I was, uh, I was like, do you guys remember this? We did this last week. And then a student basically described the entire process correctly, you know, right verbatim of what I told them. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, you, and some people kind of giggled because you're like, wow, yeah, nail on the head right there. And I said, well, well you have to come up here and uh, teach the subject then. And he's like, well, do I get some of your paycheck? I'm like, well, yeah, you get the whole thing. He's like, well, that makes me nervous. I don't want to stand up in front of the class and give, give a bad lesson and then get paid for it. I said, man, I do that every week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like not looking that much older than my students because I, I gave my first class visit this week. And one of the things I lean into is look at how much I'm like you. <laughs> I, I know with the mask, um, for me, it makes me look younger. You know, I, I have facial hair, but it's, it's covered up by a mask. And so uh, I don't, I've never known if it's for better or for worse when I take off my mask and they're always like, oh my, you have a mustache. It's like, I never know. I never know if that's a compliment or not, but I'm, I'm always like, I do, I do. Um, but yeah, it, it is, I, I do enjoy looking or like being in the similar age because I feel like it's not so much me against them or them against me where it's us cooperating, you know, trying to get through these topics, you know, and, and for me to try to teach them um, something that they never know. And I mean, I feel like every time I teach something, I, I get slightly better at it, you know, that I, I can't imagine that you plateau with your, with your way of explaining something to where it just becomes doll and if so i i don't want to teach because you know i don't want to just um give a give a not a boring lesson because i well, i give those a lot where it's like you've got definitions you got to get through and you're just like you know hang in there we'll we'll get to some application here soon but um i i think I, i'd like to hear your take on this um i always thought that the teaching was or teachers in general um are like uh are like fruits and vegetables uh, they are so they're needed for society. Like you need teachers and people willing to like give this knowledge they know uh, over, but just like fruits and vegetables, uh, they go bad and they have a shelf life. And I think that most teachers have shelf lives. Um, and you know, it's dangerous to have a, a teacher who reaches their shelf life and just, you know, kind of goes through the motions. I feel like that could hurt a student a lot more than, you know, help them. Yeah, I, I believe that exists in all jobs, would be my guess. Just any activity for long enough uh, without variation, and you kind of hit a wall where you're like, I, I've been putting so much effort into improving. I'm tired. I don't want to go over this again. But I think, it, I think it, it's uniquely bad in teaching because it affects students so much. It's like you get those teachers that don't seem to care or want to be there. Well, people don't become teachers if they don't want to be. So they had to want to be there at some point. And I'm sure at the core, every teacher cares about their students. I've never met a teacher. I've, I've As a student, I've complained that they, they, they don't care, blah, blah, blah. If I'm being truly honest, I can't say in earnest that I, I've seen a teacher that truly does not care about their students in any capacity. Uh, but yeah, it's like... If you're not feeding into professional development, if you're not involved 
in the education community where things are changing and evolving and you're just coasting, you're just talking to your peers only. And eventually it's hard to improve yourself more than you, you hit these plateaus and you need that outside source to bump you up to the next level. And then you can start going again. But I think people don't necessarily do that and they start to loathe their job or their class. And yeah, I, I think it is kind of dangerous. Uh, but I think it's also hard to do because life is so busy that people don't do that because they got other stuff going on. And it's tough. It's tough to move. Uh, I mean, go to a whole different field or, you know, try to really step out of the comfort zone. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does worry me. It's in the back of my mind when I teach, you know, like I'm hoping that it's a gradual shift into that. And, and, you know, I just won't wake up someday and, and hate it, but you know, I, it's, it's been enjoyable still. Um, you know, I, it's, uh, it feels like work, uh, but not the teaching part. The grading part is where the whole, like, this is work, you know, um, the act of getting up in front and as someone who's teaching three classes, uh, one of them is online. So teaching for two hours a day, it just seems like such a silly thing to get paid for. Like I just get, you know, for 15 minutes, I stand up and write symbols up on a board and people copy down what it is. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's enjoyable. Uh, it's again, humbling. I have math is such a, you know, um, I was stumped on this one problem and I, I didn't know what to do. Um, a theorem said that this result it was it was the it was the factor theorem that said that if you look at the root you know if it's like x minus two you know your root is two because if you plug that in um, and you get a, a remainder of zero then that polynomial divides another polynomial right that you can have a nice clean division um, and we plugged it in and we found that it was a remainder but when we did polynomial long division we got a whenever we plugged it in and evaluated the function, the remainder was zero. But when we did polynomial long division, we, had, we got like a remainder of like two or something. And, you know, the student was like, well, maybe, you know, and I was like, no, you're like, the, the theorem states that this is the case. And it was just a negative sign. I sat there for, I mean, it felt like hours, but I'm sure it was maybe one or two minutes before. Um, I, it was either a tutor on duty or another instructor came over and like, just looked at it and said, oh, there, there's a negative right there that shouldn't be there. And, um, I felt so happy. I got to retain my degree a little bit longer because I was, I was stumped. I could not figure that out, which is always kind of nice. You know, I mean, it's aggravating and embarrassing to have it in front of people that you should be able to help. Um, but it's also kind of humbling to know that, you know, practice, you know, just keep practicing. Tutoring. And I, I like to observe other tutors. That's part of my job now. And no matter how young or old or experienced or inexperienced the tutor, everyone gets stuck. And everyone is looking at something that they've done a million times. And they're like, the way this, the, the wording, the something's not clear, you know? And they're like, I'm trying to figure this out. And it's such a lesson in admitting when you don't know what's going on and then turning that into a constructive learning experience, even when like you don't know what direction the ship's going. <laughs> you still have to be the captain. 
even when you're not at the wheel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, I, I always enjoyed when I saw a professor get stuck on something because uh, it, it was it, it made them feel more human. And I like to think that my students think the same whenever I make my calculated mistakes, like I tell them. Um, I always uh, like to say whenever I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, first one of the year, you know, um, even though it's like the third time in a lesson that I, I've said something. Um, it's, it's still, you know, um, funny, funny to say that. And uh, yeah, any sort of banter with, with it. I mean, it's, I, I do, I do remember a lot of my, my student or my, my um, either teachers or, or professors or instructors like fondly, like any of them that, you know, even if I don't remember the topic they taught, you know, there's still, still phrasing and stuff that they said that I, um, you know, I can relate to. Yeah. In my recent tutor observations, I have picked up a lot of techniques that I really like, you know, anytime you watch someone to teach for the first time. They're always got totally different styles. And anytime I ask them about it, they always say, oh, uh, professor this, tutor that showed it to me. It's always someone else's. And so I love the way these techniques just daisy chain from educator to educator. It is neat to see different teaching styles. And I know when you, because uh, I believe you were a coach for a couple of my classes. Uh, and there was one of them that I was going to be late because um, there was a mix up with the tutoring schedule. And so, you know, I asked you to go and teach for me. Uh, and it was, it was neat to be able to walk in and sit in the crowd. I mean, I know that that class was a nightmare. Uh, just the way it's, it was set up and the maturity level of these college students, it, the, the whole class fought both you and I the entire semester. But it, it was nice to see you set up there and teach. And, you know, they, they, they did behave for the most part. Yeah, they, 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 they straightened up because they knew I was just some chump doing my best <laughs> but no it was good it was it was enjoyable to yeah i mean like work kind of kind of tag team it um it, it, i wish i could have stepped in in your shoes and been the coach for your class um uh, just to see that because um, i also wish i had coaches if you if you want to come coach my class can't guarantee you'll get a paycheck but i will i will enjoy it yeah i i i like making teaching as fun as i can uh, in college, one of the things I would do is there was one lesson that I did it really hard for. I had this RPG analogy going where I was talking about the tutorial boss, the first level boss, the final boss. And I just kept coming up with like, this is our, this is our sword. This is okay. We just beat the boss and now we're progressing. And now it's like, and we're, and I, for the full 50 minute lecture, I am just on and on and on about this nerdy stuff. And uh, I've only been that intense once, but I really try to make it fun for the student. One thing I do with my younger kids uh, is I'll say, give me a word, any word. And sometimes they pick easy ones like book, bike, uh, Australia, you know, and I just create a word problem about whatever they're learning in relation to that word. So, you know, one guy gave me Australia and we wanted to do trapezoidal area. And so I was like, you know, Rumpert McCallan is hunting wallaroos in a trapezoidal you know, <laughs> hunting area that's x miles long and it always gets them it always gets a laugh out of them and they make fun of me because the whole time i'm thinking about it writing it up they're just sitting there and then half the time the question doesn't even take as long as the write-up does but 
if it makes them laugh and it keeps them engaged, sometimes yeah. it's worth it. Any anytime I can get a like a laugh out of the students, I feel like I'm you know a little more connected with them, and so you know it's I I, I don't I don't know how to describe my teaching style, um, but I do try to banter as much as I can to to try to get some sort of reaction. Uh, whether it's just digging like horrible puns into the ground to where it's, you know, playing to complete silence because I know it's uncomfortable for them, which makes me laugh. And so I'm up there laughing at myself, uh, which um, always seems to, to be something that they people enjoy to watch. Yeah, you have to get used to silence, too, because even fun classes, sometimes people are just miserable and you let out a joke that normally you know, the class at least would have groaned or something and they just give you nothing. And you're like, all right, we are not having good days today. <laughs> it's like, the, it's like it's, uh, you know, it's a tough audience today, you know? Oh, uh, grab yeah, the collar, yeah. but um, it, it is. Yeah, no, I mean, some mornings, uh, I, at least this semester teaching so early in the morning, yeah, it's just like complete silence to like, no, nobody's awake. Um. I know on Friday, uh, a lot of people didn't show up because it's a hybrid class. And so I had maybe like 10 people in class and then maybe 15 online. And I mute, I always mute before class starts. So if people are talking in the classroom, it doesn't get, you know, if it's their personal conversation, the people online don't need to hear. But I had it muted and everyone was super tired in person and nobody said a single thing for like five minutes, just complete silence. I was sitting there like looking over my notes and someone online typed in, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think you're muted. And I replied back, Oh yeah, there's, there's some pretty uh, heavy discussions going on here in class. So I just wanted to you know, make sure it was muted. And I told the people in person, I'm like, uh, so I just lied and said that we're, <laughs> we're talking. Uh, they don't need to know that we're sitting in complete silence. So that was our little inside joke before class started that um, hopefully the people online felt left out of something that wasn't actually happening. All right. Well, we have uh, exceeded the one hour mark uh, substantially. So thank you very much for your time tonight. Um, I really appreciated getting a chance to talk to you about all this. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it, was, it was a good discussion. Um, I liked the prompts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and appreciate the artwork. Uh, if you're listening, uh, check check out the artwork. Um, it is very impressive. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, I had a good time. Yeah, I've been posting all of the artwork that I do for this and uh, the stuff that was mentioned in the first episode to my Twitter. And that's the only thing my Twitter is used for the episodes of this and the artwork so uh it's pretty easy to find so you can find it all there uh monty thank you again and uh that's all we have for today